Hey, this is Rob with uh, Metal In, Metal Out. I'm here with Brian Voden from 10 years. Brian, how's it going, bud? It's good, man. I uh, I appreciate you uh, being up for a chat. No problem, man. No problem. Violent Allies, the new album, such a solid work of art for your fans. Uh, it's such an appropriate name, especially when you think about the fact that both ends of the political spectrum right now and their followers have such violent allies that we're seeing all over social media and mainstream media. What was your focus when you were writing this album? Were y'all conscious of these things? Yeah, and, uh, you know, the, the, the concept of violent allies also, um, well, it for us, it started as a personal thing as far as just even the the members of the band and like myself matt and jesse and how we work together it's it's a funny brotherhood of um love and fighting and uh you know we have moments where we can't stand each other and moments where you know the the love is shining through but then at the end of the day no matter what uh we're allies in it because the sound of 10 years and and the sound of what we create it it is what it is because of the sum of all parts so you know it kind of started out as an internal conversation as a reflection of us as as a band and as a as a working unit but we quickly realized the uh social application of that title and how just how it really accurately describes what is going on in our country and how um, you know, there's such a dividing line with uh, people these days. And of course, it's exacerbated by social media and, uh, and all that stuff. But I think at the end of the day, you know, we just we really do have to realize as a people that, um, you know, we, we can have differing opinions and that can that and that's OK. You know, it's it's uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of a full believer in. Uh, there's no one way to look at things and there's no one way that everything should be uh, um, handled. So I think, you know, as as a whole, you know, talking about our nation uh, socially, I think I think we do have our dividing lines, but um, we're at our best when we can come together. Well, definitely. It's kind of an interesting full circle thing. You start off with this innocent idea of you guys being the violent allies, you know, and then it the social applications of it. But at the end, it's all hopeful because you hope that maybe you can turn it around and come back to the innocent, you know, hey, man, we're all just here to, to you know, get through together. So there's some hope in that yeah. as well. Yeah, it, it, and that's the thing is that it is, even though the word violent always has, you know, well, I don't want to say a negative depiction, but it does have an aggressive or, or I guess, negative depiction to it. But, you know, really... It's just talking about how, you know, how disagreeing parties and unlike things can still come together to create something great. And, and, and I I don't know. I mean, it is, it's a struggle now to look at the, the social divide in our country. But, um, you know, I think, you know, I'd think back to the times when people, you know, weren't constantly trying to pick one another apart and and there was more social unity you know and and i think that i think that that comes and goes i think that um you know i think i think social media really does affect uh everything so dramatically nowadays so it's that that's made made people 
you know, maybe give us glimpses of, of people's worst, if that makes sense. Absolutely. You know, I was telling a buddy of mine that it's, it's kind of like being in a relationship with somebody where you're both mad at each other. And at some point you just want to fight. You don't even want to worry about who's right and who's wrong or how can we fix this? You're just angry. And I think that's kind of where we're, we're all at right now, which is, you know, sad, but like you said, it comes and goes, you know, I think this will pass like everything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, being an election year and things like that, it's, it's everything is heightened, I think a little bit, but hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully things chill out and people just, uh, get back to the golden rule, so to speak. I mean, you know, I have, I've have three children and, and two of them are, are young still. Um, one of them's 12, which is still young, but she's, she kind of already understands the world a little bit more than the two younger ones. And my two younger ones are five and six. And, you know, something as simple as the golden rule and, and being kind and, and things like that, like, are the things that we stress to them. And I always, my wife and I talk about it quite a bit, how, you know, these are such simple things and such simple considerations, but it's amazing how when you become an adult and you throw politics and social issues and different things into the picture, all, all that goes out the window, you know? So I don't know, Ho- hopefully things will, will chill out at some point and we can get back to, uh, you know, just worrying about posting cat pictures and pictures <laughs> of our breakfast. Absolutely, man. We need more memes. We need more, yeah. we need more oh, yeah. joking and laughing. Did it, yeah. did it feel important to use the time that we've spent in quarantine these last six or seven months to capture all the emotion and the intensity that we're seeing around us? Well, I mean, you know, so uh, I'll go back kind of to like the writing stages of the album and apply it to, to kind of where we're at now socially is, is one thing that's really interesting is that when we were writing stuff like the shift and the unknown and, and things that do feel like, um, it has such a strong relevance to what's going on now. It's interesting because we wrote those songs last year, (laughs) pre pandemic and pre quarantine and all that. And, um, you know, I I have this ongoing joke with Jesse because Jesse is, um, he, he's a poetic guy, and a lot of times he likes to write with a lot of ambiguity and doesn't like to really wear his emotions on his sleeve. But, um, you know, some of the lyrics on this album are a bit more straightforward, but they're straightforward in a way that is showing, you know, honesty, but in kind of sad areas, you know, like, uh, like the unknown, you know, is just him feeling kind of lost and and going through life and and not really knowing what the next step is but but we're on the journey and things like that and it's so funny because i kind of joke with him like man your doomsday lyrics finally paid off now that we're in 2020 in a world of shit that everything makes sense now (laughs) now you're not negative you're just honest (laughs) yeah exactly exactly so uh it's kind of funny but yeah i mean you know it's it's weird how um, how the social relevance of all that ended up, uh, you know, because it ended up hitting with, with more impact, um, after the fact. So it's, it's really weird how that happened, but, um, you know, and, and this whole past six, seven, eight months, whatever of, 
being at home and not touring and everything has definitely put a lot of things in perspective for us. And I think, I think, I think every working musician and songwriter at this point coming out of this, whenever, whenever that does happen, we're all going to have a whole lot of songs about the, you know, this experience and all that. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how we all manifest this into new music one day. Absolutely, man. The ramifications of this are, you know, it's so all encompassing and so vast. It's, it's hard to fathom how, how deep and how far this is going to go. The kind of spin this puts on everything. Uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's funny. Jesse really put you ahead of the curve in that direction, man. You're going to, you, you know, you really... Yeah, I know. It's like, I mean, it's so funny because people are like, wait a second, those songs were written last year? And it's like, man, I know that he, he was already, he was already in doomsday mode back then. So, <laughs> Jesse has you know, it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now we're going to sell his psychic services in our, on our merch store. <laughs> I, need the, I need the Texas lottery numbers, Jesse, hook me up. Yeah, it's, right, exactly. It's funny, you read his lyrics, and then you meet the guy, and he's so just, uh, like, funny and lighthearted, but he really does have that poetic, kind of deeper side to him, and it's, that's also kind of obvious when you meet him, but uh, he's he's a good guy. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a true introvert most of the time, and, um, you know, when we first started touring and, and playing shows and stuff, he would turn around and just stare at me while I was playing drums. And I'm like, dude, there's literally a thousand people on the other side of you. Turn around and look at them. Don't look at me. And you know, he's, he's never been super outgoing and he's always been the shyest guy in the band and all that. So I think a lot of times people that, um, that are that way, I mean, they have to have an outlet like writing or like composing lyrics and things like that to express themselves you know for me i don't mind sitting and talking to people and talking for hours about the art and all that stuff and that's not really his thing his thing is more putting it into the words that he writes for the songs so um you know that that does kind of that 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 gives him an escape and an outlet for what's inside since you know he may not be uh really interested in, in always talking about it Absolutely, and, and that's that's good to have that balance in the band. You have a, a guy like yourself, or, or we've had several conversations about music and art and, and the music you create, and they've always been like talks. You know, we end up talking for 30 minutes and, and not even realizing it. But yeah, I could see, you know, Jesse being a little more introverted, but he's still very friendly. I mean, he's great with fans uh, when it comes to meeting everybody. Yeah. He's, you know, everybody, you know, really enjoys meeting him. I met him the first time when I was 17, and uh, he was great, man. And Funny story, the last time y'all played Brewster's uh, Ice House here in Corpus, uh, one of the opening bands, he actually walked out from backstage and walked through the crowd, and nobody recognized him except for me. I said, hey, Jesse, what's going on? And he's like, oh, hey, what's up, man? <laughs> and he walked by, and everybody else walked up, let him walk by. And I told my buddy that was with him, I was like, the lead singer of the band, they're all here to see just walk by, and nobody knew who he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Story. I mean, yeah. And, and you know, that that's that there's another quirk that we have is that he um he's really good about wanting to go out after shows and stuff and talk to fans and be social and and do all that whereas 
even though I I I am nice and I certainly would shake everybody's hand that come that comes to to support us and all that. But socially, I'm a little bit weird where I don't I'm not big on crowds, uh, like physically in a room with crowds. That kind of like freaks me out sometimes. So it's really weird. I, I can sit and talk to you for two hours on the phone, like a conversation, whereas that's not his bread and butter, but then he would rather be there in person. And I'm, I'm like hiding in the bus cause I'm like socially <laughs> freaked out. So I don't know, man, we're just a bunch of quirky weirdos. <laughs> hey, quirky weirdos make good music. There's nothing wrong with that. I'll take it. <laughs> to me, violent ally seems like a really good mix of the, I guess classic 10 years sound with a jolt of the kind of unnerving intensity of everything that's going on and you know everything that's happened in the last 15 years since the release of the autumn effect and you got songs like waiting and I wish that are really kind of familiar but then songs like the shift kind of feel more like of an embrace of the modern did you guys do this intentionally or was it just kind of like a natural progression for you well, and the one one thing that, that I've said in the past and that kind of still rings true is that even though we might go into writing a new album with a general type of direction, a lot of times these songs just happen. And it's not like, um, you know, like something with The Shift. I remember that song I wrote in January of 2019. And... Um, and, and when I sat down to do it, 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 I had zero intention in mind. All I wanted to do was just write something fun that felt good in that moment. And, um, I, I think, I think it's just, you know, some human beings, uh, who are songwriters will write a similar sound no matter what. And then some human beings, whether they like it or not, you know, when they sit and write and, and create, something different comes out depending on the time of their life. You know, maybe their writing is, is in a different phase at the moment or, you know, whatever there, you know, we're more, some people like myself tend to be more exposed to outside elements that have a big effect on the writing. And I, I don't know what affected this album. I just know that, um, the writing it, it there, there's definitely strong, hints of the familiar 10 year sound but then there is something else in there and and where that something else came from i'm not totally sure and it wasn't exactly uh on purpose it's just we kind of write to for the sake of writing and then what we end up liking and enjoying you know makes the cut and the stuff that um we feel like should be better doesn't so um yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, it, it's just, this record does have hints of something new, but it wasn't like we were trying to reinvent the wheel. We just kind of stumbled across it. Definitely. That, that's what growth is, isn't it? I mean, it's not something you do intentionally. It's something that kind of organically just happens, and then you wake up and you realize, huh, I'm the same, but I'm different. It, well, exactly. And, and it's weird for us, too, when we, like, when we put out new music where we're you know, after the fact, we're aware that that growth has happened and that um, maybe there are some new elements in there because, you know, one thing that we are acutely aware of is the fact that we're never going to be able to please everyone. So when we release a song, you have the people that go, 
it doesn't sound like the autumn effect. Screw you guys. You know, like people who are like completely deeply offended by anything we do that doesn't sound like something else. Then we have people that about the same song that say, Oh, it sounds exactly like everything else. Screw you guys. And it's like, man, you you can never win. win. So with the fact of knowing after putting out records for this long, that we can never truly win. The only way to win for us is if we make songs and albums that, that we are proud of. That's the only way that we can do it now because, you know, if you start if you start listening to the critics or the outside voices or whatever, and, and you know, I'll tell you this too, the people that praise you, we of course it's always good to get great feedback, but you know, we have to take everyone with a grain of salt because you have the people that are gonna say they love you no matter what, and then they have there's the people that are gonna say, you know, you didn't recreate Wasteland for the four hundredth time, so I hate you and I'm never listening to you again. So <laughs> it's just it's it's a journey. Um you know, but we're we're definitely proud of this album, and we're proud that that there is kind of an obvious growth in the writing. Definitely, you know, people tend to assign these emotions and feelings towards songs because of how they kind of listen to them and how it captures a moment in their life, and that's normal. We all do that. We all listen mm-hmm. to a song and it takes us back to a moment or a feeling. But it's kind of important to remember that artists don't have that memory of yours or feeling of yours when they listen to that song. So expecting them to be like, you know I love Wasteland, damn it. How dare you not make the same song over and over again? How am I supposed to know how you feel about something? How am I supposed to know what you're thinking when I'm writing this? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it's just something that we've learned to deal with over the years. And uh, when we were younger, the the people that would criticize like that and everything would definitely really take a toll on us emotionally and, and mentally and, and everything. But now, you know, we're this, this many records in, it's just kind of one of those things where, again, we just write what we're proud of. And, and, um, I think that that's, that's a great starting point. I still think that of course we want to connect to the fan and we want to write stuff that, that our listeners, will be able to relate with and they'll be able to um, take into their lives. And because, you know, no artist is out there uh, saying, I don't want to be the soundtrack to people's lives. Of course, like we want to be a part of our listeners lives and and we want to be able to have, you know, build those those uh, moments of nostalgia where, you know, someone five, six years from now can, can hear the shift or hear say goodbye or waiting or one of those other songs from the new record. And they get that feeling. They, they well up and they, you know, they have, it's like a timestamp in their life that's associated with our music. And, you know, I have that with bands like Deftones, like the white pony album. I, I mean, is so over the top nostalgic and, and things like that. So of course we always want that, but, you know, I don't think that we can actively try to pursue writing a record only thinking of what the fans want because everybody's so different. Absolutely, guys. you got to give artists a break. I mean, they're trying to create new things <laughs> that that, uh, that inspire them and make them excited to write music. And we're just along for the ride. We're, we're the lucky ones. we got to enjoy it for what it is. Planets, speaking of nostalgic, Planets... Three and four are a welcome return to the acoustic interludes on a 10 years album. Me and you talked about this. 
before about the importance of those acoustic works and those early um, albums. And I'm curious to see what brought these back. Um, well, a couple things brought them back. One was I personally love having those on the albums. And the reason that we, we've done interludes since even the autumn effect and everything was because, you know, I come from the old school of having like a CD Walkman and I would put my headphones on when I was in middle school and high school and things like that. And I would put a CD in and just let that thing play from start to finish. And I've always been so married to the concept of, a full album listening experience. And, um, I just think that for a band like us, we, um, we, we create beautiful records when we can not just focus on a bunch of three minute long songs, but when we can try to create more of a listening experience. And I just, I, I just feel like those instrumental pieces are really great to bridge the gap between, certain songs on the album and and for this one um you know but while we were writing this album i was listening to um an album called a black mile to the surface from a band called manchester orchestra like a ton so i listened to that album just on repeat for i mean months and that album does that it, it has songs that are kind of connected and it has a really um um, like full album listening experience to it. And as I was listening to that, knowing that that's been a part of our history as well, I just knew I was like, I, I have to do this again because it just, it's, you know, listening to that Manchester orchestra album just reaffirmed for me the importance of, of that full album experience. So um, what we did basically was we, recorded the full album um all the songs in la with howard benson but then what i did was i waited until we got that part done and then i came home to my studio and wrote and recorded the planets pieces based off of where i wanted them on the record and what songs i felt like um they should flow out of and into it was awesome man it was great to hear that again that to me, that's such a signature piece of those first two records, especially The Autumn Effect and Division. It's such a big part of them, and that those albums have that whole album experience. It's They're different songs, but you know it really is that old school, put on a vinyl record, and it just flows. And that made them stick out. That's what made me a fan of 10 years from the get-go. And so... Well, I've enjoyed, you know, everything that you guys have put out in its own way. It was really nice to have that back. That was one of those nostalgic things for me personally. Yeah, well, and it's funny, too, because I've seen so many people online saying, Planets 3 and 4, what the hell is that? Where are Planets 1 and 2? And, <laughs> you know, it's it, back in the day, the way that it, it kind of... See, like, streaming has changed the way that albums are even laid out. In fact, I've heard from that there's versions... I, I mean... I don't spend a lot of time listening to our back catalog, like on Spotify or whatever, but, you know, I guess that maybe the, the, the way that you listen to say, take for instance, the autumn effect or whatever, I guess that when you listen to that on streaming, it's, it may not be laid out exactly the same as it is on the CD with, with, you know, like the full long ending after the autumn effect and things like that. 
Um, and, and so I guess maybe, um, it's just what, you know, nowadays we, we wanted to put the planet's pieces on their own tracks. So, well, number one, so that if the listener wanted to just, instead of having like, for instance, if sleep in the fire had a two and a half minute long intro, we wanted the, the listener to have the ability to just get to the song if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, so they weren't tied into a two and a half minute long intro just to get to where sleep in the fire kicks in. Um, something like that. So we just, you know, it's, it's, we, back in the day, I always called those interludes on division planets, but we just never needed to name them or title them on the CD you know, or anything physical like that. So only the band knew what I was talking about. If I would say planets one or planets two and, and things like that, since it was never actually titled publicly. Um, so this time around, I, even though there's no official titles out there for planets one and planets, planets two, um, you know, I definitely wanted to pick up where I left off, um, as opposed to calling these pieces, uh, something new. I kind of like the idea of planets being like a continuing saga and a series that just kind of will keep going for an indefinite amount of time. It's funny. The only reason that I ended up knowing that is because when we talked about it, I had brought up uh, y'all doing the uh, division in its entirety. And uh, when y'all actually did it, I'm going to go ahead and take a little bit of credit for that because I totally told you like a few months before and you're like, well, I don't know. We haven't played Planets in a really long time and I'd put two and two together. And so <laughs> yeah. that's, that's where I figured it out. But yeah, um, yeah man, that, that was that's really cool that, that you're keeping that going because it really is a very interesting... And, and for it's kind of funny to me that for new fans that haven't listened to you guys on you know CDs they're not going to know what that was like. And that was a huge part of it for me and a buddy of mine was kind of listening to the songs going in and out. We were like, man, how do they do that? You know, how do they, they're not going to know what like the negative timestamp looked on a CD player. Remember when it would go into negative time and then the song would start? Oh, dude. How, I mean, that yeah, that was, it was so cool back in the day. And, and it was like, <clears throat> you were really discovering something. And now because streaming is the main way that music is consumed everything is just different now and and we you know it's already remember how how cool it was when you when you would get a new cd from a band and your friend was like dude have you heard the secret song there's a secret song you know and and all that and like that that was so cool and now now that's just not even a thing yeah the the days of like two or three minutes of dead space and then a song starting after the last song you know it was so cool. Deftones, speaking of Deftones, Deftones used to do that, have secret stuff in their, you know, their albums. That was really cool, man. I mean, I, I miss yeah. those days. But yeah, the way we consume music now, being so different track by track and playlists, it's just, it's cool in one aspect to be able to have a greatest hits wherever you go, you know, for working out or barbecuing or hanging out. But we yep. lose something in not listening to an album in its entirety. Yeah, it's just it's just different, and, and I always have to think about like, you know, I come from one one school of thought and, and one process of, you know, how I consumed music growing up, and my kids are going to have something totally different, and my parents had something totally different. So generationally, 
it's always going to shift. I just kind of feel, I feel fortunate that I grew up in an era um, that was able to, to still get a piece of, of what that looked like growing up and saving up allowance just to go to, you know, the local music shop and buy a new CD or, you know, uh, and back way back in the day, like getting tapes and stuff like that. Like, I feel very fortunate to have experienced that because that's something that my kids aren't going to be experiencing. But, you know, it's to them, they're not losing anything because they never had that to begin with. So they're going to have just a, a totally different music consumption experience. And, you know, it is what it is. I'm just happy of the one that I had. Yeah, for sure. Are there any favorite moments during recording or favorite songs on this album? Um, well, the favorite song thing is always changing for me. Um, you know, I have moments where if I'm being sappy or whatever, and something like say goodbye is so emotionally striking. And I'm so proud of that one that, you know, that one might be my favorite, but then, um, I had been kicking around a lyric, um, the lyric of, uh, I am brand new now without you for months. Like, in fact, I was listening through demos on my computer yesterday, actually. And I realized that I have like three or four different songs of music, different pieces of music where I demoed out the line, I am brand new now without you. Uh, it's, it's different melodically and different music on all of them. And it just so happened to land in what is now without you uh, on the album. But um, without you definitely was something that song in particular, I really love and, you know, we had we had wrapped up writing demos and recording demos for the album, and we were all set to leave to go to Los Angeles. And we had a super early morning wake up because we had to drive from Knoxville to Nashville and get on a plane to go to L.A. And and so I was laying in bed. Um, I was all packed, ready to go to uh, L.A. the next day. And I kept hearing a melody in my head, like a guitar riff. Mm-hmm. And finally, I was like, damn it. I, and I got out of bed and grabbed the guitar and went down to my studio. And um, the intro riff um, that is now uh, on the song Without You, the, the intro guitar, that's what I had in my head. So I actually recorded a demo of that song probably four hours before I left to go to the airport um, to go do the record. So that one, just just I think that one's always going to be... Uh, one of my pride and joys on the album because I I was really into the concept of that lyric uh, for the chorus and then I just had tried to force it into so many pieces of music where it never quite felt right until we got to the one that made it. Um, so that one is definitely a personal favorite. Um, I really like um, I Wish... And I think Jesse sounds like a monster on the chorus of Waiting. So I'm really proud of that one as well. Um, Waiting is also a good example of a song where um, I, I didn't allow myself to overthink or to overwrite. Um, and by that, I kind of mean like the verse riff, uh, which is you know the intro guitar riff that plays through the whole verse, mm-hmm. is so simple. It's two chords back and forth for God knows how long. And typically, you know, uh, the, the, the Brian that's analytical and that wants to overthink certain things would go, dude, 
that's two chords for like 30 seconds. What are you doing? You got to change it somewhere. Um, but I kind of, we kind of felt like, you know what, this works and there's no reason to change it because everything else around it is colorful. So, uh, I'm proud that I was able to actually leave that alone and not mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's good, man. Sometimes you have to, uh, talk yourself out of over editing, you know what I mean? You end up cutting the heart out of what you have. So that's good that you recognize that. That is a great well, song. And you know what? It's, it's funny. We did that on Deja Vu. Deja Vu, my original version of the music of that was how it is now. But then what I did was when we were working on vocals for that song, I actually completely tore that verse apart and I wrote a completely different verse of music where it had a bunch of chord changes and it had like piano in it. And it was like this really interesting and kind of like weird thing. And I sent it to Jesse and see, Jesse typically nine times out of 10 would choose the more musical, weirder kind of more vibey thing. And I was like, Oh, he's going to like this way better. And I sent him that music and he was like, you fucking ruined it, man. (laughs) And I was like, what? And he was like, I know that typically under normal circumstances, I would want the more ghostly weirder thing. But go back to that thing where you don't change chords because it just worked. And that was like literally, we still laugh about that one because that's like the first time he ever was like, no, do the simple one. Because usually he's not that guy. But so I credit him for uh, for putting my head back on straight on that one. But, uh, you know, it, it was worth a shot, I guess. But it just in the end, it didn't work. Sometimes that happens, but I, I really like Lucky You off of How to Live as Ghosts. And I remember I was talking to Matt uh, when y'all were down here after the show. I was talking to Matt and I told him, man, I'd love to hear that song live one day. He's like, yeah, Jesse won't ever sing that song. He hates it now. I was like, why would he hate it? That's a great song. And he said, I, I guess he had a certain vision for what that song was going to be. And it didn't end up turning out like that. So he didn't like it anymore. So I guess that kind of happens sometimes. Well, and, and it, it does. And sometimes it happens in a way where you're not aware that your vision was compromised until after it's finished. It's almost like when you're recording, everything is, is whizzing by you so fast that um, you're in it and you're in it and you're in it and you're working and you're recording and you sing a part and you're focusing on, you know, like for him, he might be focusing on, on breathing during the takes. He might be focusing on his vocal character. He might be thinking of nine million other things and then you don't actually realize what you have until you get a mix back and you go, oh, no, I that's not what I wanted to do, actually. And it's tough. And I think that that has happened with him in the past. Um, and, and on Lucky You, I think that did happen. But I'm I'm happy to say that I think that he has outgrown his frustration with that one. And I think that that one could see the light of day in a, in a live setting. Well, I can't wait because that is a great song. I, I... It's so different, um, the, the setup for it. So I, I can see how that might have been a little bit different than what he had, had planned for it, but it's a great song. I appreciate it. Speaking of live, man, not being able to do live shows sucks, but you guys have done really well with these virtual shows you're doing. Well, tell me a little bit about that. Um, well, it's just a intimidating and slightly weird thing to do, but I think that for us, the, the one that we just did, 
to celebrate the release of the album. Um, that one felt necessary because um, I think the stubborn part of me that that was frustrated that we couldn't be on the road to support a new album was like, well, if we can't be on the road, let's take the road to us and do something like this. Um, and to be honest with you, I feel like like for fans, um, I, I, I think I think that we need a healthy dose of of whatever we can get that's even remotely close to the live concert experience now. With that being said, of course, we're all fully aware that, you know, it's, it, nothing is going to replace being in a room with, you know, a thousand other people and singing at the top of your lungs uh, and seeing someone like Jesse step on your head as he's trying to crowd surf. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, that that can't be replaced. There's, there's just no way to replace that. But um, if we can at least get you know, halfway there or a quarter of the way there by doing a concert film and, and having a good live mix going and, and, you know, a real performance, then I think it's at least worth putting out there. And for us, it was so fun to play. Now, of course, if we had a crowd of people in front of us where there's that, uh, reciprocal energy that's cycling through the room. That would be amazing. Um, but since that's not the case, you know, it's still fun to get together with your guys and jam. And that was, that's the main thing for us was, you know, we haven't been on stage together in months. Um, and, and we all started playing music because we love playing music, not, not for any other reason. It wasn't, there's no underlying you know, gimmick there. It's, we all just love playing music. So it was really gratifying for us as musicians, stripping all the BS away and just getting up there together, laughing, being goofy, playing, um, that, that it, it really felt like it brought it back to square one element one. This is why we do this. And it was a shitload of fun. Hey man, I, the clips you've been posting sound great. Like you said, the the actual recording quality on it is, you know, fantastic. Uh, if you've never seen Ten Years Live, the energy Brian's talking about is absolutely tangible. It's a wonderful experience. They're one of my favorite bands to see live. Uh, you gotta see them to really experience and, and understand that. But the the quality of what they did was phenomenal, and uh, hopefully we'll see that soon. You were talking about why you play music and, and why you guys started doing this. Does playing music and creating this art feel more important now with all that's going on in the world around us? Do you all feel like you're kind of more needed now? Well, so here's the thing with that is my truthful answer is that I don't know that it, that it is more important now, but I think that I think it's easy for guys who have been in the business a long time like us who have toured relentlessly where we've been away from home for you know some some years we're almost gone 300 days in a year and and that's that's a lot of time away from your your bubble at home and and you know i think it's just easy sometimes to start to take this opportunity for granted but i think that it's times like this where um we we all sit back and realize man that we actually are the luckiest people on earth to be able to do what we do. So, um, you know, and maybe, maybe I wasn't accurate a second ago when I said that it doesn't make it more important. I think it's always important, but I think the importance has shifted a bit because now 
you know, music with people trapped at home and, and people in quarantine and, and not able to see shows. I think maybe, just maybe, the average listener now is maybe music is a, a, just a, whether it's slightly or significantly, maybe it is a bigger part of their life now, or maybe it is helping them through the the mental toll that this pandemic is taking on us. I mean, I was just talking to a friend of mine um, earlier today about how, um, you know, it does suck to not physically be out there. And, you know, there's, there's uh, ob- the obvious setbacks of, of what we're dealing with now, but the mental strain is significant and it's not just the mental strain on musicians it's the mental strain on everyone i mean even you got to think you know parents out there dealing with how to handle their kids going to school and i personally here have three kids doing like homeschool and i mean it's it's crazy and and then people who are out of work um people who are losing family members or you know what or even the 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 separation from your family where you're not able to go and physically spend time with grandma anymore you know whatever it might be because no one wants to put anyone at risk um and potentially infect them with the virus or something like that. So there are so many factors right now that are leading to really heavy mental and emotional, um, um, I don't want to say problems, but it's, I just think it's taking a big toll on people and it's meant it's mentally exhausting on a lot of people. So, you know, I think in times like that, music is crucial and and music boy it helps me a ton when i'm when i'm down or frustrated or whatever you know if i put on the right album whatever the right album is at that exact moment and when it hits just right all is well in the world you know what i mean you know it you know you know exactly when it's the right song it's the right music yeah exactly so you know my hope is that during this 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 new music of ours can somehow snake its way into people's uh lives in in a positive way and maybe they can find something on the new album whether it's the album as a whole or a piece of a song or a song or whatever that um that that just does the right thing for them at the right time that's what i hope for well yeah man that's that's what I'm sure all musicians hope for when they create new music. And right now I, I do feel that, like you said, that importance has shifted. It's become something new to me. It's like kind of reading a good book. It sucks you in, right? It brings you into that world. The author's created. I've always felt music is a little bit different. It comes at you and it builds that world around you. And so when you are having those problems, those issues, and you find that right album, those right songs, it really does just come up around you and, and, you know, blocks out everything else. It's just you and the music. Yep. Well, yep, absolutely. Is there anything else you want to say to the fans before we go? Um, the, the biggest thing, and, and I don't want to sound too cheeky and, and obvious, but, I mean, I, I really have to give the most genuine and sincere thank you to the fans because, you know, being that we have existed in a global pandemic this year and we have not been able to get out there. Um, the fans have shown us 
so much support um, in other ways. They've supported us in, you know, like on our Patreon page, we've built a nice little community there of people that, that want to see a little bit more, um, you know, um, in-depth kind of content. That's been really cool. We The, the Facebook uh, page for The Wicked Ones, which is our, uh, like, the our Facebook kind of uh, fan page or whatever that they've put together um the community there that is building is significant and it's um you know seeing those people come together for one another and and the friendships that are being built from that and and just how much work they have done to help support the band i have to give the absolute most sincere thank you to them because this year could have been a year where we felt like, gosh, no matter what we do, the nobody's paying attention or everyone's busy in their own lives that, you know, they're not, they're not able to support what we're doing and, and all that. But I've seen a level of, of the fans being more proactive than ever. And I, I feel like this year has actually been, um, a year that our fans have come together more than ever and have helped the band so much. So I'm just, I mean, honestly could not be any more appreciative than we are. Uh, It's mind blowing how awesome they've been. So um, just a big genuine freaking thank you to them uh, and virtual hug to all. (laughs) Well, definitely as a fan of the band, you know, we really appreciate what you guys do and it makes it such a joy to be able to talk to you and communicate with you this way and then share it with all the other fans. Um, We love 10 years. We love what you guys do. One last question before we go what is it like to look back on your career and see this growth from those first record to violent allies? You know, it's been quite a journey. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's in simplest terms, it's, it's, you know, I can just say that it has been quite a journey and it's been full of every emotion you can possibly imagine. And there's been good times. There's been bad times. There's been weird times. And then, I think there's been plenty of time that's just been a, a mixture of all of those things. So um, I'm I'm very grateful that we've had the opportunity to stick around for this long because I mean there's bands that we toured with on our on the Autumn Effect tour cycle that you know didn't exist past you know uh, past that album. I mean you know so it's we we realize that sometimes there is a shorter shelf life for bands in this business because the business is cruel the business is challenging and it's ever-changing so um we have somehow been able to keep relevant and keep um keep you know in front of the public during all this and and we still luckily can get out there and play shows and well not now obviously but when we're able to tour you know we still have that base of fans that are always going to be there and i think that uh i i think it's just we're we're very grateful for that because it could have gone a different way it could have we could have been you know one and done with wasteland and after that since we didn't have another number one song you know I mean, people could have turned their back on us, but I think that what we create um, is it has a depth to the songs and a depth to the content that people have been able to latch on to. And, and, you know, I'm just, man, I'm just happy that we're still doing it because 
Yeah, I started the band when I was 15 years old, and I'm 38 now, and I feel like we're writing the best music of our career. So um, it's, I mean, it's a crazy journey, but uh, we're still along for the ride. Well, and that's the thing. That's how it should be, you know, I think, is you should have that right attitude of, I'm doing the best I've ever done right now. And if you have that attitude and you stick with it, then that, that to me, is the secret of that longevity. You're still hungry. Uh, you hear it in your voice every time we talk. You're still passionate about what you do. That's why you guys have stayed stayed around so long. Yeah, well, you're. I definitely am. That that's because because the passion is so honest. I don't think that it's ever going to go anywhere. And and you know the other thing too is is that we're. I think that we've always done this for the right reasons too. You know, like we weren't one of those bands wearing. You know, like eyeliner trying to get girls and things like that it was never about the image it was never about the money it was always about trying to to write great songs and create art and i think because of that alone even that helps keep us in in a little bit of a bulletproof vest so to speak, where, you know, we can kind of keep doing our thing. We can kind of keep churning away uh, over on the sideline while other bands come and go if they're not doing it for the right reasons. Definitely. Well, y'all guys are all always, you know, in our hearts, and we thank you so much for everything y'all do. Brian, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Guys, Violent Allies, go and give it a listen. Support the band. Check out the uh, live concert that they did. Uh, the virtual concert and we look forward to seeing everything that's coming up with you guys hopefully we'll get to see y'all soon on tour awesome man well we're hoping (laughs) we'll see yeah brian thanks again for talking with us you got it man i appreciate you buddy